0: Mention to you, the Mona Lisa, the screen, impressions, sunrise, what comes to your mind? For some, it would be famous paintings. And these are quite um, quite extraordinary pieces of art. And they're very expensive, they're very valuable in some people's opinion. And they're even considered treasure pieces of artwork. But they also have something else in common. At one point or another, all the originals have been stolen. Which makes it kind of odd and interesting at the same time. We know that the Mona Lisa was painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the 16th century. In 1911, a museum worker walked out of the museum with the Mona Lisa under his coat, walked right out the door. He later expressed that he thought that the masterpiece belonged in Italy, not in France. Two years later, the thief was caught trying to sell said painting. Then there's the painting known as The Scream, which why did I steal this painting? I have no idea. But in the 1900s, it was stolen. But then again, in 2004, it was stolen from a museum by armed robbers. Who went in with gun blazing to take and steal this piece of art? Later, it was retrieved and it was restored. And then there's this piece of artwork, "Impression Sunrise," done by Claude Monet in the late 1800s. In 1985, armed robbers stormed the museum in Paris and took the painting, and it was recovered by French police five years later. These are all considered precious pieces of artwork. But this morning, I want to remind you that you and I have access to the most amazing piece of treasure, and that is what the first Christmas brought to us. In all our planning, all our preparation, all the excitement that comes with the Christmas season, is reaching a fever pitch. Kids are getting anxious, anxious about what is under the tree in the rapid. Parents are losing their minds trying to get the house organized because they know family's coming over in a few days. We're so caught up with the busyness and the hurriedness of what's coming. I want us to again slow down for just a moment to remind ourselves what is the real treasure of Christmas and how can we be careful to not allow this treasure to be stolen from us. The point of Christmas is simply this. It's that God came to dwell with us so that we could dwell with him forever. That is the point of Christmas. That's why we gather together and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so he will dwell with us and we can dwell with him. Scripture reminds us over in John's Gospel that the Word was God. And later in the chapter it says the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the enormity of who God is, the complexity of his creation, in the majesty of his glory, this effort for our salvation is beyond our comprehension. Why would God go to such great lengths to save me? Why would God go to such great lengths to save you? Why would he offer for us salvation? Why would he go so hard and for such a prize as us? Why would he do all this? Why would he send his son the way he sent him? To go through the things that he would go through on our behalf? The answer is simply this. It's found in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. God is love. That's why God does what he does. That's why God does the things that he does. So as Christmas comes upon us, I want us again, this phrase has been in my vocabulary the whole month of December is for us to pause. Forget about the noise going around us. Forget the distractions that are upon us. Don't worry about what you have to plan for later this week. Let's focus our attention on this gift, on this true treasure. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at the account of the Magi who came to worship Jesus. But what I want you to see in this account this morning is there are three different responses to the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn about a king who got a little bit jealous. We're going to learn about some teachers who knew the right answer but didn't understand the question. Then we're going to learn about some men who traveled great lengths to see what was at the base of that star they were following. We consider everything that we know about the Christmas story, we consider everything that took place. We think about the ways that God goes for us and we remember why Jesus came that was us to die for our sins. Knowing all this, what more can we do? What else can we do? This morning I want us to have the mindset of the Magi. And if we follow the Magi's example, we'll find that the power, wonder, and meaning of the holiday will not be wasted on us or stolen from us. Because there's a danger. There's a danger to allow what's going on around you to steal the reason of celebrating Christmas. With everything we have to do and take care of, we can worry, if we're wasting our time, worrying about reminding ourselves about a baby. But There's so many other things we need to take care of before Christmas gives you. But this morning, I don't want you to think that the holiday, this Christmas season has been wasted Or that you are not worthy of it. Or that it might be stolen from you. My prayer is that you will remember. As John Eldon reminded us. And as Kate shared in that song. Mary knew the power that came from God. She knew the wonder of what was taking place. And she knew the meaning of what was going to happen. When that angel stood before her. And said you have been highly favored. And you're going to bring the Savior to the world. She understood that. Mary did though. But for us, sometimes we get so caught up in what's going on, we forget. So this morning, as we shift our focus, enter the wise men, these strangers, these men from a foreign country. But here's what's interesting. What we know about these men does not line up with what we read about in Scripture. Because the account we read in Scripture shows us a different picture of what our lives is of these men. If you haven't done it already, I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 2. And look with me as we read this account. And look at the three reactions that we see in this amazing passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Scripture says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, heard, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, Determine from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word back to me, so that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his brother, and fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures, and they presented gifts to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way despite what we always sing during the christmas season these men were not kings yet we sing that song we three kings of orient are but notice what the bible does say about them that these are men who are following a star in the expositor's bible commentary we read these words In later centuries down to the New Testament times, the term magi loosely covered a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology, magic, books thought to contain mysterious references to the future and the life. Instead of kings that we typically sing about, these men were probably scholars, astrologers, who were working on a knowledge of and a belief of Hebrew scripture. Think about it. They knew enough of the Hebrew Scripture to know who they were looking for. Yet these were not religious men, so to speak. Yet tradition says there were three of them, when in fact we don't know how many of them there were. We use the number three because of the number of gifts we read about in Scripture, but there could have been a singular gift from a number of magi. Again, we learn and we read these men that says they came from the east. We honestly don't know where they're from. They could be from Babylon. They could be from the east, from China. We honestly don't know the answer. Scholars have no clue where these men are from. And then we think about the star. There are some who suggest that the star that they saw in the heavens was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that took place in 7 BC. What they saw was not actually a star, but two planets lining up together causing that bright spot in the sky. Some think it could have been a comet. Some think it might have been a supernova. Others believe it was a supernatural event, like a pillar of fire and a cloud that the children of Israel followed during the Exodus. But here's the most amazing part of this passage of Scripture, is that these men, these magi, were foreigners. These were foreigners who were following something to lead them to their destination. They knew what they were looking for. These were men from another country who see a star. They study scripture and put two and two together and go searching for the king of the Jews. And for you and for me, this passage of scripture is a reminder for us as individuals and for us as the church and for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. And here are the two thoughts this morning I want you to think about. Are we, like the Magi, focusing on our worship, adoration, and gifts for the King? Are we focusing on our worship this morning as we come together and we sing hymns, and we have a time of prayer, and we have a time of studying God's Word? Are we focusing on our worship? Are we focusing on our adoration? That it's His breath in our lungs that should cause us to want to praise Him. And what about the gifts we bring to the king? What gifts are you bringing this morning to the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Or are you so familiar with the story? Are you so familiar with this passage of scripture that your wonder, that my wonder, that our wonder has been lost or stolen? Are you so familiar with the Christmas passages that you forget they're there, or you forget why they're there, or you don't take time to really read through them because you've heard them a hundred times in Sunday school. You've heard them every December. So you kind of just glean over it. This morning, I want to encourage you, as I always try to do, is when you look at Scripture this morning, I want you to pretend that you've never read this passage before. And I want you to see some things that we tend to miss. There are things that we will miss that cause us to lose our focus this Christmas season. There are things that will cause our heart to stray away. I told you there are three responses in this passage of Scripture to the birth of Jesus Christ. The first response is simply this they should know better. They should know better. Who is they? Later, we'll talk about the Magi and death. But I want you to consider a response we read in verses 4 and 5 of this chapter. In verses 4 and 5, look what happens. Herod has heard the word that there has been born a king. And look who he goes to and look at the response, starting in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Notice they had the answer. They searched the scripture. Later we see there in verse 6, we see the evidence. They shared the same scripture that we read over in Micah chapter 5. Where the child was going to be born. These men knew the answer. They had dedicated their lives to study and to teaching God's law, to reading about the prophecy. But notice something. They knew the answer, but they didn't bother to investigate. They didn't go looking. Herod says, Where's this king been born? They said, Look, it's on the map. We can show you. He's down the road. But nowhere do we read in this account that these men, these learned men, these scholars, the chief priests, the scribes, they don't go searching. They don't investigate. They don't care. They know the answer, but they don't move. Let's play pretend for just a second. Let's pretend that you are the president of the Coach Kirby Smart Fan Club. Y'all know who this man is? You are the president of his fan club. And let's pretend that Coach Smart calls you and says, hey, I'm going to be in the area and I need a place to stay. Can you give me a recommendation? And you tell him that the handed-in by day is a good place to stay. But then you hang up your phone and you forget about it. Would you really do that? If you're the president of the fan club, what are you going to do? You're going to make sure people are at the hotel when he shows up. You're going to make sure he's got a gift basket in the room. You're going to make sure he knows where he's going and how to get there. You're not going to forget about him. Because you carry up to be president of this fan club, you're going to move heaven and earth to get there to make sure others are there to say, hey, welcome to our part of the world, Coach Smart. Yet we read the account of these religious leaders, these scholars, these men who don't do a thing. They say, yes, we know the answer to the question. It's like that kid in school who always knew the answers. When the teacher asked that question, nobody else raised their hand, but that one kid always raised their hand. That's these men. They knew the answer. They knew where he was going to be born. But here's the issue. These men were more interested in what they knew about the Messiah than about the opportunity they had to come to know, to receive, and worship the Messiah. They knew where he was, but they didn't give a rip about going to the see. They didn't care. They knew the answer. Listen, this morning, in our time together, you know more about the Magi than 8% of our population. Yet these men, these men don't move. And here's the danger this morning for me and for you. Don't let your knowledge and your familiarity of the events of Christmas steal away the wonder of it. Just because you know the Christmas story, don't let it steal the wonder from you. Listen, you should be excited the birth of our Savior. We get to worship him. Listen, there are people in other parts of this world who literally would die to do what you're doing this morning. To be in the presence of the Father. To be gathered together in worship, singing songs of praise, knowing they can't for fear of death. Yet we get so caught up in the Christmas story, we know these passages, we can lose its wonder. But listen, we don't fault the Pharisees and these chief priests. Should you study God's Word? Yes. Should you learn about the things of God? Yes. Should you learn His Word and His commands? Yes. But don't make the mistake these teachers made in verses 4 and 5 about putting knowledge of God above knowing about God. They knew God here, but they had no concept of who God was here. And that's a danger. We can know a lot about God up here but not know anything about God here. Again, John Ellen talked talk about it. It's about knowing God in your heart, knowing that God has transformed you. That God has moved you from darkness and light because of the gift he has sent for us. These teachers knew God but they didn't know God. I'm reminded of what Scripture says. Remember, Jesus doesn't say I know my sheep and my sheep know about me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it over in John 10 14. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They don't know about me. They know me this morning. Do you know him or do you know about him? because here's the beauty of studying god's word here's the beauty of allowing ourselves to get caught up in the amazing wonder and the magic of who god is because god reveals himself through his word but the whole point is to draw close to him in order to know him more to become more like him in his love that's why you guys study scripture to be more like him to be drawn closer to him, to fall more in love with him. There's a danger to knowledge. There's a danger to knowledge when it comes to scripture. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you are caught up in the wonder and the majesty and joy of the birth of our Savior, It should want you to study him more and more, to read what he did, read why he did the things he did, and why he ultimately paid that price for you and for me. Because God showed up at Christmas so we could know him, but also so we could have a relationship with him. These Pharisees, these chief priests, do not have a relationship with God. How do I know that? By their response. In this passage of Scripture, the response is simply yes, we know where it is. But that's all we can say. That's all we're going to do. They know the answer, but they don't act on the answer. They really should know better than they don't. Because there's no desire to know God here. They simply want to know him here. Don't let the knowledge of Scripture still with the joy of Christmas. The treasure of Christmas on your heart. So the first response they should know better. Here's the second response we see in Scripture, and that's by Herod, the Hater. Now, I'm pretty sure our conference missed spelling the word. No idea. I gotta write a down. That's why I'm not an English major. Which everything. But Herod hated the fact, and listen, I know hated is a strong word. I grew up with a grandma who did not like us to use that word. I have two younger brothers. We use that word a lot with each other. And my grandmother said, That is not a nice word. Well, I strongly dislike you a lot. That's what we would usually say around my grandmother. But I use this word for Herod because Herod truly hated the fact that someone had shown up to take his seat. Look at verse 3 in Matthew chapter 2. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled. And notice Scripture also says all of Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled. These men had shown up in his town, coming to worship another king. One who had been born, king of the Jews, and this troubled him. This disturbed him. Did you know that Herod was a man who was paranoid? Do you know he was a man who was power-hungry? The history books tell us that Herod killed his sons because he was jealous of them and thought they were going to take his power. True form, Herod wants to do the same thing. Notice the cunningness of Herod. He goes to the chief priest and scribes, finds out where the baby, the child is. He goes back to the wife and says, hey, when did you start following this star? But then notice the audacity that Herod had Look at verse 8. In verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you find him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him too. You know what that is? That's baloney. Herod had no desire to worship. He wanted to eliminate a problem. There was competition and he could not handle that. But here's the thought this morning. And I put it in your outline. And notice what I wrote there. While few of us would actively fight against the Messiah, there's a little imperative in most of us. And we need to guard against it. It's the part of us that takes the glory away from Jesus by putting our traditions over our worship. It's the little hairiness that tries to elevate our expectations on what should happen this holiday season. Our needs for ourselves and not the needs of others. When you and I demand things to go our way during the holiday that are above what God has for us, we make the same mistake King Herod makes at this first Christmas. We put ourselves above Christmas. Listen, I love Christmas tradition. I love watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I love decorating. I love being told where to put the ornament. I don't want to put it on myself. But I love the aspect of Christmas. I love all the aspects of Christmas. But here's the danger, is I need to be willing to allow God to adjust my plans over what I think is important at Christmas. I need him to adjust what I'm doing Instead of putting something else ahead of him. This week you have three extra opportunities to worship. You have an opportunity tonight to worship during the Christmas compile. You have an opportunity Wednesday night during the Lord's Supper. You have an opportunity Friday night during Christmas Eve. A lot of you are going to make all three of those events. Some of you have other things in line up. I understand that. But there are some people who will make a conscious choice not to come to one of these things because it interferes with a tradition. Be careful. Traditions don't override new guidance in your life. Don't let the things of this world tell you, listen, we'll do it again next year. It seems next year. Herod misses the point of Christmas because he elevates himself over what the meaning of Christmas is. The chief priests, and the scribes, the scribes, they miss Christmas because they elevate their knowledge over heart knowledge instead of having kind of just head knowledge. But notice the last response. Notice the last response. I simply call it a wise example. And I love this response this wise example. Look at me in verses 10 and 11. Now look what Scripture says here. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They had seen that star again. And notice what Scripture tells us in verse 11. When they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented Gifts to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I love this part of the scripture because here are these men, these foreigners from a country we don't know. We have no idea how long it took them to get on this journey. Remember, Herod asked the question when did you start following the storm? There's speculation that these men traveled for two years potentially to get from where her home was to get to Jerusalem, and then to Bethlehem. Because notice what Scripture says. Did you catch the word? We sometimes read over it there in verse 11. When the Magi came to the house, they came to the house. The is no longer in the manger. The baby's in the house in Bethlehem. And he's men. And again, we don't know how many men there were. But here are Mary and Joseph and Jesus looking at these strangers from a foreign land who bring their gifts. And these gifts are specific gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They have meaning. And I would encourage you to research the meaning of these three, kind of allow this morning. But notice what else they do in this scripture it says they fell down and they worshiped him they worship the one who they had read about the one that they had a little knowledge of and knew they had to come and see him outside of what we read in these verses and then we get to verse 12 we know nothing more about the Magi. but in of who god is what god has done their response makes sense if you want to guard the true meaning of christmas i suggest you start with worship you worship. And it doesn't mean just worship in here at 10:30 on a Sunday morning. What that means is you find opportunities to worship when you consider, consider your thoughts and your hearts on the things of God. Because again, when it comes to worship, I'm reminded of this. We don't worship God because He's in need of it. We worship God because we are in need of it. God doesn't need me, but I need God. You need God. Listen, you're not here this morning because of the preaching. You're not here this morning because of the worship. You're here this morning because you want God to speak to you. And for some crazy reason, he uses people like me to do it. But that's why you're here. You're here to worship. Not the person behind the pulpit, but the worship of God who sent his son to die for you and for me. So we give him the praise that is due, the praise that is required, the praise that is demanded for us. When we truly praise him, we can feel something different in our life because our worship fuels and feeds our gratitude. When I'm lost in worship, I'm concentrating and focusing on the things of God. When you and I worship, when we worship, we experience a deeper connection to God and we get to fall deeper in love with him. There's a deeper connection because we're worshiping him. We're not giving him lip service. We're not going through the motions. We are pausing and saying, God, speak to me. We plainly see that the teachers of the law, they should have known better. They knew God, but they didn't seek him personally. We can tell Herod is doing everything for the wrong reason. Herod props up his greatness over the greatness of God and chooses the lesser things. He thinks, Herod thinks, his power can match God's. The man has lost his mind. Yet, Herod's position in his place would never compare to God's position in his place because God has the highest position. That's why when we get to the Magi. The Magi show us the most obvious response to worship at Christmas. Listen, there are hundreds of different passages about worship in Scripture, on how to worship, and I want to show some on the screen here in just a moment. But when we worship, we're even press reference to God and who He is. Look at the ways we can worship this morning. We worship by bowing. We worship by laying face down. We worship, oh my Lord, by lifting hands. We worship by clapping. Oh goodness, we're getting in trouble this We worship by serving. We worship by making sacrifices. We worship by trembling, by singing joyfully, by thanking, by giving, by kneeling, by shouting, by singing with gladness, confessing, exalting, uh oh, dancing and responding in spirit and in truth. This morning I remind you that the Magi worshiped through their gifts and offerings. The Magi worshiped through their gifts and offerings. They brought the gold, their frankincense, and the myrrh. They fell face down and worshiped the King of the Jews. The shepherds worshiped through the proclaiming of the good news. Remember, they're the first missionaries.
1: They hear the angels speak
0: to them and they go and find this babe in that manger and they tell everybody they can, listen, we have seen the Messiah. He is here. The angels worship through song. Glory to God the highest and peace on earth. And then there's Mary. Who take remind us this morning. Mary, the church says, she pondered these things in her heart. That's the way she looked. This morning, you can worship one of these ways. This morning, you can worship by proclaiming. You can worship by singing. You can worship through your gifts and offering. You can worship by simply pondering the amazing events of what took place on that Christmas morning. If we don't do anything else at Christmas, let us stop to remember why we celebrate in the first place. What it is that God did first, because He is. Worthy of worship. Just like the Magi. You can choose what form of worship you want to do that best fit the occasion. This, this coming Christmas. You don't have to do it like the Magi did. The Magi gave precious metals and spices. But this morning, what do you have to give to Jesus Christ? What do you have to give him? What is going to be your act of worship? What's going to be your act of service because the beauty of worship is it can be done so many different ways this coming christmas morning as you're watching children and grandchildren open gifts you can pause and just simply tell god thank you thank you for failing thank you for how you watched over us this year as you gather around the table to eat my prayer is that you would pause just to tell god thank you that you would be grateful For those of you this Christmas season that are dealing with disappointment and heartache, remember the ultimate reason for Christmas is the cross of Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Every Sunday you come to church, my prayer is that you bow your head to the Creator and come with a heart that is open and a heart that is receptive that just like the magi, you would come into this place to worship the king. Not because you're supposed to, not because it's required, but because our hearts demand it. Our hearts demand that we worship the great I because he is dwelling in our hearts. We celebrate Christmas with this last reminder, just like the magi. They encountered the Word who became flesh, God, with us, and they were never the same again. The Magi were never the same again. We know nothing about the rest of their lives. Don't have a clue. But unlike the Magi, you and I can be changed forever by accepting this precious gift that you give to us this morning. This Christmas season can be different. Because you truly know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As Christmas draws near, my prayer is that you would seek God and give him the worship and praise he deserves. That you would present to him your gifts just like the wise man. My prayer is that you would see the Word made flesh. My prayer is that you say yes to this. Father, we thank you that the Word became flesh, and that Scripture says that you dwelt among us. Father, please reveal the areas of our lives where our becomes a little bit like air. father protect us from the familiarity of the season father may your word be a source of desire and strength in our heart father i pray that we all would have a heart like the magi That father we would seek you father that we would worship you and that father we, when we found you that we would rejoice Father, my prayer is that you would be present in our Christmas and glorified in our lives. But Father, I also understand this morning that there may be some here who can't ask for these things that we've just mentioned in our prayer because they don't know you, because they don't have a relationship with you. This morning I pray for those that may have a head knowledge of you, but don't have the heart knowledge. I pray for those who are searching, Father, for those who are seeking, like the Bible, that, Father, you will open the hearts of individuals to receive you for salvation. But, Father, I pray for those who are struggling this Christmas season. Father, the list can be linked to you. But my prayer is that they would seek you and find you. But, Father, they would use these altars as a time to simply talk to you. With what they're struggling with, what they're dealing with. Father, they come to the altar, even come to me this morning so I can pray with you. Father, there may be some this morning in desire to make this church home their family. Father, whatever the case may be, if we move into a time of invitation, Father, a time of response, we simply come to you just as I am. Father, with all the brokenness, with all the hurt, with all the confusion, with all the questions, and Father, we come to you at this moment, and Father, we ask that you simply change us. That Father, you speak in a clear voice above the noise. That Father, you truly call your children to you, because the scripture says, we know your voice. And we know your shoe. Father, at this time move me, as only you can, the of of you. we will give you glory in all the So we pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. That's all stand.